Greetings, podcast listeners. C. Culbertson here. Welcome to part two of Colorado Review's AWP Retrospective. Podcast host Lilia Schrafer sits down with Colorado State University alum and former Colorado Review podcast editor Kylan Rice. Lilia and Kylan met up on the grounds of AWP's book fair and later continued their conversation for this episode. Together, Lily and Kylan talk about attending AWP, both as a first-timer and as a seasoned attendee, as well as their experiences in writing and what it means to move on toward postgraduate life as a writer. We are here today with Kylan Rice, who is a former host of the Colorado Review podcast, Kylan and I bumped into one another at the Colorado Review booth at AWP, and we obviously had masks on, and what you're listening to now is our first conversation seeing each other's faces, but we have the Colorado Review connection. Kylan, how are you doing today? Great, great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to believe that, I mean, I think the last time I was a host for the Colorado Review podcast was probably 2016 or 2017, so... It's been a number of years now, and I'm sure, I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if somebody, one of your listeners had been tuning in six or seven, six, five or six years ago. Hey, you never know. Listen, uh, we all have our podcast. Yeah, it's great. Great to be with you, though. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. <laughs> so what have you been up to since completing your MFA here at CSU? I know it's been six or seven years, like you just said, but can you give us a quick summary so we know where you're at? Yeah, so I'm I'm in North Carolina now, so quite a distance away. I'm uh, getting a PhD in uh, 19th century American poetry um, at UNC Chapel Hill, and almost done with that PhD. I'll, I'm hopefully entering my last year. Um, I think of interest to Colorado Review listeners would be that after I left um, Colorado Review, I actually picked up the editor-in-chief position uh, at Carolina Quarterly here at UNC, um, uh, the kind of the equivalent to Colorado Review. And uh, having that kind of hands-on experience um, at Colorado Review was really helpful and necessary for taking up that other editorial position, which I've actually just stepped down from. But that was one of the reasons why I was at AWP, is uh, running the, the Carolina Quarterly booth. So that's some of the things I've been up to. Well, you you said you're stepping down. Where, where are you headed afterwards? Do you know? Is it to, to continue school? Well, yeah. I mean, I the the um, editorial team at Carolina Quarterly rotates fairly frequently. Um, I could have stayed on, but there were other things competing for my time, and you know, um, it's a volunteer gig. So you know, like much like much of the literary publishing world. Um, so. Yeah. You know, it's time for somebody else to have that opportunity, get that experience, um, and then time for me to you know, focus on my research, my writing, my, and you know, wrapping up my my time mm-hmm. in the PhD, moving on to real person stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned we mentioned AWP a couple times. So I I attended for the first time this year. I'm a second year MFA student. Um, and so I walked in and I I was so struck at the end by what one of my colleagues said. So I walked in and I was like, oh, 
there's all these craft talks. This is like, I can absorb all this information. And then I was listening to her in the airport actually. And she was saying, yeah, this is a marketplace. Um, and she thought of it that way. And, and, and it's so true, you know? So I guess my question is, is what does AWP mean for you now that you've moved on from attending as a student or has it changed in other ways? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, this was my third or fourth time going to AWP. Um, in previous uh, years, and this was, I guess, the last few times I went to AWP was probably when I was in the MFA. And um, it's a totally different, it felt totally different this time around, in part because I had more responsibility with the with the Carolina Quarterly presence. And, but I think more more to the point though, like now that I'm, you know, a little bit further along in my professionalization journey, I guess, than, than folks in the MFA stage, uh, it did feel like, you know, it did feel like a little bit like a marketplace, you know, sort of there's in the, in the, um, the academic side of things, there's the MLA conference. And historically, that was where people went to have job interviews and that sort of thing. Um, that's obviously not the case for AWP, but there is some sort of equivalent insofar as you're networking, you're meeting people. I didn't, I didn't leave the book fair at all the whole time that I was there. I didn't, I didn't see a single talk because, you know, because there was so much to see, so many people to meet, um, so much to learn just by going from table to table at the book fair or um, meeting people coming up to uh, you know, the table that I was helping to run, um, getting to know them, getting a sense of like, I mean, I think to use the word marketplace could come across as maybe pejorative or like jaded or something like that. Um, and maybe there is a dimension of that, but also it was just really good to see what the state of affairs is like in the um, world of literary publishing. And that was, that was really positive. I think the other thing for me is AWP has always been like a, the biggest thing, like bigger than all those other reasons has been to, uh, touch bases with friends who are in other parts of the world. Um, and one thing that I was kind of in preparation for this talk with you, one thing I wanted to kind of bring up is like, what was so valuable to me this time around is when I kind of touched bases with, with an old friend or acquaintance, I, I would maybe set up like a one-on-one -on -one meeting, like a, you know, a coffee or a, a dinner or something like that. And inevitably they, the friend would, invite somebody along. And initially I was sort of hesitant about that because I wanted to just spend time with this person one-on-one, -on -one. but it was such a joy to meet new people who were friends of friends. And I think that that's, that's the real joy of AWP is like, is yes, it's, I guess you could call it networking, but again, there's something kind of like corporate about that word. Whereas what's happening in the creative writing community um, there on site, I think what what can happen is like a, a warmer kind of more collegial um, growing of, you know, your network, your radius, your, um, your circle, your sphere, your coterie. Or, um, and, and I think that, that was, that was a really lovely um, insight that I was able to come to this time around. Do you have a favorite AWP memory? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I don't know. Let's see a favorite AWP memory. Oh, from like past AWPs? Well, yeah, the past or this one. Like, have you ever bumped in anyone unexpectedly? And it's just, 
been a total surprise or yeah i i um it was i think a few awps ago i bumped into one of my favorite poets gc waldrop and um it was great meeting him in the flesh and we had a great conversation that led to ongoing correspondence and and um and so i think that that was probably my favorite awp memory yeah i also feel too that it's like it's kind of like a cumulative experience like i feel like it's you're just so immersed in this thing with all these people i feel like it's it's not something easy at least for me that i could like dissect and be like what did i learn or what was the best part it's just like the effect of being around people who care about literature who care about poetry um and it's their whole life i just think that's an energy you know and that's getting really spiritual but yeah i, I think that's that's the i think that's the most generous thing i've ever heard said about awp so i i think well, i'm a naive first timer so <laughs> no no that's the, that's the right attitude i think that's the right attitude so you mentioned that your research specialization is in 19th century poetry yeah kind of <laughs> okay, okay elaborate <laughs> well i mean i i because i'm also a creative writer so the phd i'm pursuing is more scholarly Mm -hmm. But um, because I'm also a creative writer and deeply kind of committed to poetry and poetics across time, um, that my interests are necessarily broader than a period, right? And periods already are kind of old fashioned and dying out with um, so much else in our kind of so much else about the old university. Um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess I would also add 20th century poetics and my focus is specifically on women's writing so um thinking about women poets in the 19th and 20th century and and is your can you talk about how your research and your own writing are in conversation is there something you're working on that you could talk about yeah i'm working right now on a chapter on emily dickinson a dissertation chapter on emily D dickinson and um i'm thinking about how she uses poetry to value the day as a unit of experience and i remember taking classes with sasha steenson while i was at colorado state and i know for sasha um the daily practice of writing poetry is deeply important and was something that i also incorporated into my own practice so like thinking about poems um, as responding to the daily or or um, uh, valuing some aspect of the day that um, might otherwise pass away unnoticed, um, crystallizing some image um, from the from your life as a way of elevating it, maybe above the the commonplace. And and that's actually what bridges each chapter in my dissertation. I use this word crystallize um, as I'm reading these these various authors. I'm thinking about how they use crystals, gems, jewels, uh, those kinds of tropes as a way of um, uh, thinking about poetry, thinking about gender in poetry, um, thinking about value. And, uh, and so that's one, that's one, one project that I've been working on recently that feels really connected to my own kind of philosophy about writing um, and, and specifically daily daily practice. 
Yeah, I have a mentor from, I'm not a poet, I'm a fiction writer, um, but I took a seminar with J.P. Howard. I took her a class and she she also makes a habit of the daily poem. Um, mm. And so like thinking about that too, as like, when you were talking, I thought of like a poem as like a unit of time, like the way you were talking yeah. about it, which yeah. is so cool. And the reason I think it's so cool is because I too want to, I set a goal to write daily but because i mean occasionally it'll be like I'll, there'll be an image from that day mm -hmm. that will somehow get me to a place i need to be in but that's very rare so i often feel like by writing every day i feel like removed from any sense of time i'm like stuck in the time right. period right. that i'm writing so like is it is it really that poets and fiction writers are awkward talking to one another or are we just <laughs> on a different dimension like <laughs> Well, I mean, when you say when you say removed from the day, I think that's that's the that's one of the things that I'm really thinking hard about right now is the way in which writing it might be a way of processing daily experience, but it also necessarily kind of abstracts and removes you from daily experience. Um, whether that means transcending into a kind of more well, yeah, invoking kind of other memories, other other kind of broader philosophical maybe themes, or in the case of say a fiction writer, and, and am I right that you you focus on historical fiction? I focus on how historical fiction, I think, is in play with the consciousness of my characters. I don't know that I could claim that I write a historical fiction genre. But I was very convinced that I was for several weeks last semester. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting to hear you talk about it. And um, all this is to say, like, uh, I think I think there's a very tenuous relationship between writing and whatever happens over the course of a day. I think there's a way in which they kind of cancel each other out. Um, and I could see that being even more the case uh, with fiction. Although I guess with fiction there's a way in which you're like adding time to your life, right? By being able to create timelines uh, that didn't happen, you know, so. I was fascinated by um, the fact that, cause so like the people I talk with who are considering a PhD after the MFA, they're considering a PhD in creative writing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm Am I right that you were maybe considering that before choosing something more in scholarship? Um, and if not, could you say anything about people who are, I don't know, do you have any advice for kind of thinking <laughs> that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would say uh, actually the MFA was the detour for me, um, that it was that it was going to, I think in college, I was always planning on going on to study literature less as a practitioner, more as a, a critic. Um, that being said, like, even though that was the original aim, I've since been kind of rerouted. And now the true, the true interest is um, practicing my craft as a, as a creative writer and teaching creative writing and um, getting in a work, getting in a position where I'm able to help students in a workshop setting. Um, I really, I do really care about the, about the teaching. Uh, aspect uh, of this whole um, kind of ecosystem of creative writers. Uh, what I would say uh, is that in terms of like, 
comparing the two or why you would do one versus the other. I guess what I've always told myself is, you know, the job market at the university level is so terrible that um, why not try to kind of the shotgun approach where you're, where you're, uh, you're wearing many hats, you fill multiple categories, you can kind of do a little bit of everything. That's been what I've told myself that I'm doing all along. I think what I'm realizing now as I'm getting close to the end of this all is, is uh, there's really something to be said for focus and for like be presenting or yourself or professionalizing in such a way that um, you don't come across as dispersed, but rather come across as like deeply kind of um, committed to a, a specific kind of niche or genre or, or period or whatever. So, um, so I think, I think what I'll end up, what'll end up happening is, you know, God willing that, uh, if I get a job, <laughs> it will be, it will be in something that probably reflects what I've ended up, reflects the kind of profile that I've built for myself, which is going to be somebody wearing multiple hats. Right. Um, but I can see that that's not necessarily desirable for everybody. And I would, I would recommend for creative writers, probably, I don't know, this is just a hot take, but like, go for the, go for the creative writing PhD. Um, if you want, if you want to teach at a, but that's another thing is like, I think that even in, in the creative writing circuit at universities, I, I still think that it's possible to, to become a tenure track professor or something, some kind of equivalent without the PhD at all. Um, it's just a matter of like, what's your publishing record? So I think really what, what creative writers should focus on is, is publishing if they want to end up at a university. And, you know, if they feel like they could use the scholarly kind of side that comes, the scholarly acumen that comes from a PhD, or if they want to teach in a more kind of scholarly creative writing program, um, then, uh, that's that stri strikes me that in, in that case or if they want to like grow a manuscript that they're working on or work kind of deeply and seriously uh on a kind of hybrid scholarly creative project or something like that then i think the phd is a good a good um good route that was this month's episode thank you for listening next time lilia sits down with recent colorado review contributor ariel katz talk about Ariel's story, Disaster Management, from the spring 2022 issue of Colorado Review.